Welcome to FMH InsureCast, a podcast created by Farmers Mutual Hale, designed to deliver expertise and insights from trusted FMH team members and industry experts. Each new episode will dive into new products, industry updates, and innovative solutions. Let's get to today's topic. Well, welcome back to the FMH InsureCast. This is your part-time host, Ryan Bennis. And today we are talking about a little bit of a mid-year review of your crop insurance policy. So we have some big time implications and opportunities now in this higher price environment. And so I've brought in a couple guests to help us discuss some of those opportunities. So first, let's introduce Eric Schminke. Eric Schminke also works here at Farmers Mutual Hale. He is a sales development manager. Eric, go ahead and introduce yourself and give us a little bit of information about yourself. Thanks, Ryan. It's good to be here. Um... I guess my second time in, in, in the medium, uh, last time was uh, RFD TV. And, you know, I, I, according to my mom and dad, I did a good job. I don't hear from anybody else. So hopefully this will be better. Maybe um, I can get feedback from some other people. But I, I work with Ryan also in Farmers Mutual Hale. And uh, my role takes me it's similar to what he does. Uh, but I get out a little bit further out in the country, take care of the East Coast, Southeast, and in the state of Texas. So I get a few more crops, a little different perspective on it. This is my 35th year of doing it. So a lot of the, what we talk about when I first started, we didn't even know about, and, and we've got opportunities today that Ryan will lead us through. No, that's great stuff. And Eric is, as he mentioned, going to give us a little different perspective because he is outside of our core Midwestern states. Uh, he still knows what corn and soybeans are too, but he will help uh, give us a little bit of extra perspective. And then after Eric and I have a little bit of an intro section here, you're going to hear from a very special guest, happens to be a friend of mine, but also knows a lot about grain marketing, works for StoneX. His name is Jake Moline. Jake is a risk management consultant for StoneX. Jake, go ahead and let everybody know what you sound like and uh, yes. tell, them, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, as Ryan said, I'm a risk management consultant for a company called StoneX. Some of you may know that company better by its previous name, which was FC Stone. Uh, but risk management consultant is a fancy way of saying commodity broker. Uh, so most of my customers here at StoneX are commercial grain elevators, whether that be a co-op or a private. We work a little bit on the larger integrated livestock producer side here in Des Moines as well, as well as with some uh, renewable fuels producers. But most of my time is spent uh, consulting my commercial grain elevator clients about how to trade basis and spreads. And in the last five years, I would say uh, increasingly helping with grain origination efforts, which includes uh, producer crop marketing. So I am very uh, happy to be here and uh, wanted to thank you guys for asking me to uh, lend a hand with the producer crop marketing side of things here. Awesome. Well, we are happy to have you as well, Jake. I think it's very important at the top of this show to give a timestamp and a date and talk about what the prices are today, because a very easy way to sound quite silly in this game of grain marketing is to talk about prices and then have somebody listen to your conversation two or three weeks later. So today is June 24th and our new crop corn prices today are 538 so that's these corn at 538 our november beans price 1293 
I'm sure that's changed since the last hour that I already looked at it. So, uh, but we're close to those numbers. And then, uh, Eric, did you have the wheat price as well for uh, September wheat? Yeah, I did look at September wheat. Um, the Kansas City Board six twenty. So that that price is is a nice strong price too, and it actually really is going to play well into what we're going to discuss with revenue protection. Awesome. All right, so Eric, you and I are going to talk a little bit at the top here about our crop insurance policy and how it works. And here now in the middle of the year, after we've already made our purchase decisions, um, how we should feel about our policy if we need extra coverage or not. So let's start with our MPCI policy. And I guess my first question to you, Eric, most folks have bought a revenue protection policy. Yes, there are others that don't buy those types of policies, but with a revenue protection policy, so should a producer feel adequately covered right now with a higher price uh, in, this, in the summer months here? The, the answer to that is, is yes in most cases, um, especially the, the growers that purchase higher levels of coverages. Uh, if they're buying lower levels of coverages, you know, down in those 50, 60% levels, depending on where their inputs are at, they may not be adequately covered if they're buying lower levels of coverage. But if they're buying a revenue protection policy with 75 to 85% coverage, they probably have pretty good coverage in place right now. Awesome. And so remind our listeners, if we have a revenue protection policy and our prices in the fall are higher, how does that policy work for them? Really good example on that right now is occurring, especially on wheat. Last fall, uh, when they were buying their wheat policy, uh, the projected price is what crop was set at was uh, 490. Uh, so they were guaranteed 490 a bushel. Then they would take their actual production history times their level of coverage times 490 to get the coverage per acre that they're at. And as we mentioned a little bit earlier, now it's 620. Uh, so that that wheat price is actually reset now. Um, and, and we're not in the tracking period, but if, if, if prices stay where they're at today, we could be looking at a, a fall pr- or harvest price of, of $6.20. So now that APH that they had times their level of coverage is taken times 620 instead of the 490. So every bushel that they're short below their uh, production guarantee, they're going to get paid $6.20 a bushel for it instead of uh, $4.90. And again, as, as, as Ryan said, um, it's just a date stamp for as of today, uh, June 24th. Awesome. And so obviously, if you're a corn or soybean producer, it's the same mechanism there with revenue protection. We have a spring and fall price, and essentially you're going to get the higher of those two. So if we have higher prices in the fall, you're going to be able to capture that if you have a bushel shortage of your guarantee. Now, there are producers that don't buy revenue protection. So Eric, what if somebody's purchased yield protection, which is probably the next most popular multi-parallel policy? Yield protection, depending on where their cost of production is, is gonna still provide them some, um, some level of protection because we did, if we remember back to March when we were making the selection or maybe a little earlier in some other parts of the country, we had a good strong futures price uh, at, at 458. So if they ha- have a cost of production that is 458 times whatever their guaranteed bushels are, uh, they may be adequately covered from a, from a risk management standpoint. Probably won't fit well into some of the other topics we'll discuss later, but they might have enough insurance with revenue prote- with yield protection. However, they do not have as good a policy if they would have had revenue protection. 
Okay. And then last on the list here, this one's probably the least popular and we might understand why it's the least popular here in a second, but talk to me, Eric, what if somebody's purchased a revenue protection policy with the harvest price exclusion? How does that work uh, for producers that have purchased that? Uh, revenue protection with the harvest price exclusion really doesn't care where your revenue comes from. Um, it, it's going to take, if I have a low yield, but high prices, as long as I meet my revenue threshold, I'm not going to be in a, in a claim. Most years, this is, an, this is the anomaly, and this is why most people don't buy it, is these years where prices are actually ending up higher. I think most years you see that revenue protection with harvest exclusion would actually work, but we are in a, in a situation now that'll be discussed later where prices are quite a bit higher than we started. And that would work to their detriment to have revenue protection with the harvest price exclusion at this time. Got it. Okay. And so um, we'll bring Jake in here in a second, but I want to remind everybody that the fall price cap is two times the spring price. And I know that Jake has a little bit of information on the range of prices that we could see here in the fall, but we do want to remind you that there is no downside limit on your price protection with crop insurance, but there is an upside limit. That upside limit is two times the spring price. So for corn, when we start off with a 458 spring price, that means that the government is not going to recuperate lost bushels at any more than $9 and 16 cents. Obviously that's a big number. We may not see that, but if we go above that, the government is, is going to cap it at 916. Same thing for soybeans. I think the number then would be $23.74. That just means if we have $25 soybeans, that is our October average, they're only going to get $23.87. So just a reminder on that, that's you know unlikely, but good to know. Be a nice problem to have though, wouldn't it, Ryan? Well, like I, I think we mentioned earlier, Eric, it, it may be a nice problem to have for some, but it could be a big problem for others if we get to that point. Uh, with the prices. So, okay. So that's our multi-parallel piece here sitting, sitting in the summer months. That's kind of uh, Hey, what does my policy do for me? But we do have another uh, portion of our business here at Farmers Mutual, which is that we sell hail insurance. And unlike MPCI, there is no sales closing date on hail insurance. So could somebody buy more hail insurance? Does somebody, would, would a producer need more hail insurance at this point, Eric? I think that's going to vary by producer, but it is a good opportunity to relook at what your insurance is. Obviously, you can't go back in and, and raise your level of insurance coverage. If you decided to save some money, the crops are looking pretty good out there. When you purchased your revenue protection or your, your crop insurance this spring, a lot of people made a decision on hail at that time. Uh, we've seen market changes. We've seen growing conditions change. We've seen storms pop up. And it's probably a pretty good idea to take a look at maybe throwing a little bit more hail coverage at my crop because it is worth quite a bit more than what I started with. Yeah. And I would remind folks that there is no sales closing date on hail. So if you haven't purchased hail at all yet, you can still do so. Or if you've purchased, say, um, $700 of coverage, but you want to go up to a thousand, that's perfectly fine as well. The only exceptions to sales closing date would be for production plan hail which does have a sales closing date of June 30th and wind protection. So the wind endorsements that go with a hail insurance policy 
those also have to be purchased by June 30th. So by the time you are listening to this podcast, it, we may already be past that date. Uh, so just keep that in mind. I'd also add, Ryan, uh, we talk a lot about hail, but there are some parts of the country where they're probably not as worried about hail, but maybe a fire risk, especially if they've got a, a good wheat crop out there uh, and uh, the it's, it's a little dry. We do also sell a standalone fire coverage that they may want to look at to bring in some additional protection. If in, Instead of spending a lot of money on hail uh, and, and having fire coverage, they may want to just look at a fire-only policy to, to offset some risk. Oh, that's great information. Okay, so I'm going to change gears here a little bit, but I want to set up by saying, obviously, with our multi-parallel insurance policy, our revenue protection, we get both a spring price and a fall price. And yes, today we, we stand at, say, $5.38 on December corn. However, once we get to the October average, it could be much more than that. It could be much less than that. So is there something we can do with our insurance policy that would help us capture prices throughout the year. And for this conversation, I definitely want to bring in Jake to talk a little bit about marketing. But I guess my question first to you, Jake, is can an insurance policy assist with somebody's marketing plan? Absolutely. Uh, I think the proper insurance policy, and if we're talking about revenue protection uh, specifically here, it's almost like the foundation upon which your marketing plan should be built. Uh, it's a very beautiful thing. It's uh, subsidized by the government, obviously. And when you're purchasing that, you're essentially um, purchasing a put option at that spring uh, price that was established. And you're also getting a call spread out there in new crop at the same time. So by purchasing revenue protection, especially if you purchase up to 85%, you have the confidence now to make sales into spring or summer weather rallies, knowing that you have that uh, indemnity payment that would uh, go to you if you're not able to produce up to your insured level. Oh, that's great. So you talked about being the basis for your marketing plan. How many bushels would somebody or should somebody feel comfortable marketing? Uh, I, I'd say all the way up to their, uh, the percentage level they purchased of their APH, in my opinion. Um, you know, when you look at the potential, you know, matrix of different yields that uh, you could be looking at in the fall time frame, as well as fall prices, right? When I purchase revenue protection, where, where am I most susceptible to risk, right, as a producer? And the answer is lower prices, obviously. Um, and when you see a nice spring rally and, and summer rally and weather premium built into the market like we have today, you know, we're, we're well above the, the spring price of 458 in corn, and we're well above the, the spring price of 1187 in soybeans. You have, I would say, uh, you know, premium built into the market that's worth protecting. So to, to do that, you could, you know, sell futures, you could make a forward sale, you could do a hedge to arrive, you could buy a put option, uh, you could do a, you know, variety of different option strategies, but you could essentially help raise your floor in the bottom uh, portion of that matrix that might be you know, a lower price environment. So yeah, the answer is all the way up to your insured level and 
I think it's a very smart thing to do when you see weather premium built into the market after that spring price is established, which is a very common uh, thing to see happen during the summer months. Oh, that's great. I guess if I could summarize that one, one uh, phrase I use for your producers is yes, crop insurance is a safety net, but it's also a tool, right? So it's a safety net. It helps us when we have those disaster years due to drought or too much rain or our prices have fallen. However, there's also this mechanism built in because we've guaranteed ourselves bushels, we have freedom to market throughout the crop year. And so if all we're ever using our crop insurance policy is to get paid and pay a premium, um, you know, you're definitely getting a benefit because it's a subsidized program. However, there are more benefits that you can get out of your crop insurance policy than just a payment in those disaster years. So that brings us to the question of the day, though, because whenever I bring that up to a producer, the first question they ask me is, okay, yep, selling bushels ahead of harvest is great. I, I, I understand it. I see those spring prices, those May, June prices always look good, but I am not confident in selling grain at that time because I have no idea if I'm going to get a crop. And so what happens if I don't produce enough bushels to fulfill the contract or that promise that I made to the grain buyer. And so I was hoping, Jake, you could help walk us through a couple of examples where that would happen and, uh, and tell us what the implications would be. Absolutely. So that would be considered you know, non-delivery in cash grain contracts terms. Um, and most grain buyers are going to include NGFA or National Grain and Feed Association arbitration language in their cash contracts. And in the situation a producer is faced with non-delivery, they really have three options. Uh, one of those options is the grain buyer can allow them to roll that delivery commitment to a deferred time frame. That's probably the least utilized option, especially when you're in an inverted market like we're in today. Uh, the second option is that producer can buy in bushels from another source, say a neighbor, and have that neighbor deliver those bushels in their name. And then the third option is that the, the contract is financially settled. So the grain buyer will, uh, let's walk through an example here. Let's say the, the producer has uh, a forward contract to a grain elevator uh, to deliver bushels in the fall time frame at $5. And let's say at the time they realize that they're not going to be able to deliver on those bushels, the fall cash price is $5.50 a bushel. The producer is just going to write a check to the grain buyer for 50 cents a bushel for however many bushels they have contracted to deliver. And the indemnity payment that they receive from their crop insurance company is gonna cover that difference. Now, if the mar market is lower at the time the producer is um, set to deliver and is not able to deliver, the grain buyer is probably not, almost certainly not going to write the grain seller a check for the, the market difference. And there's a variety of reasons uh, for that, but um, we won't get into that on the podcast, but people have tried to game that system in the past. A producer could still obviously source in bushels from a neighbor and have the neighbor deliver in their name at that higher price. And in fact, would be probably savvy to do that. Uh, but the reason that grain buyers don't typically write checks to, to grain sellers in that case is they don't want to incentivize grain sellers to market more than what they plan to produce and, and go around to different grain buyers and try to game the system that way. Correct so, me if I'm wrong, Jake, 
But if a producer wanted to do that and, and get paid for it, they could sell futures. Is that correct? Exactly. So that crosses over into the whole compliance issue with the National Futures Association of using a cash contract as a brokerage. Um, so grain buyers are, are very careful not to let producers do that. And there's a lot of rules out there and penalties if they were to do that. So can you tell us what would happen then if, uh, if somebody did have that lower fall price, they could, one, just go ahead and uh, have somebody else sell grain in their name, or they're not certainly going to get paid from, from, the, uh, from the buyer. Is there another option there for the producer just to yeah, probably the not contract deliver? gets torn up, you know, the contract okay. gets torn up. Um, and I should also mention, you know, there's no definition within NGFA rules that states, you know, what defines non-delivery. Okay. We have a lot of producers out there, especially in dry areas right now that are asking to get out of, you know, forward commitments to deliver bushels. And obviously we're not, a, we're not, in the harvest time frame, we don't know that that producer won't produce those bushels yet. But there's no rule that says you know a grain buyer has to or uh, can't let a grain seller out of a contract today rather than in the fall time frame. But it's you know typically done in the fall time frame, and I would say that you know grain buyers are by no means obligated to let a producer out of a contract today unless you know let's say they got hailed out or something like that. But just because you're a little bit dry doesn't mean you have a, a legitimate reason to get out of a, a forward delivery commitment. Great. So Eric, um, earlier we had this conversation and you brought up that there is some considerations to basis when thinking about contracting bushels and, and the implications there. Can you talk through that? I think you made some good points about how basis affects these transactions. Yeah, basis basis is a risk that crop insurance um, doesn't necessarily have the ability to cover. Uh, in, in parts of my region, I may have a 70 cent positive basis. Uh, and when we talk about basis, basis would be the amount of that the, the local market is above the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And that's what you want to remember in your crop insurance is this fall, it's going to take every trading day in October on the Chicago or on the Chicago Mercantile. December futures. So if that price ends up being, um, you know, six dollars, uh, and you're in a positive basis area, uh, and and you have to try to source corn for six sixty, um, you you on a futures contract, you may not um, be getting enough of a payment from your crop insurance. So you you want to think about it, and maybe maybe Jake has a, a suggestion for me on. On how to overcome this, but you want to keep that in mind by maybe not going necessarily clear up to your uh, insurance guarantee, realizing there is a basis risk here that I have. If you have a negative basis all the time, uh, you're probably going to be safe to market up to your insurance guarantee. Uh, my experience, though, is people run out of courage before they run out of crop insurance when it comes to, to grain marketing. Yeah, that's a fantastic point, Eric. Uh, one way to avoid the, the basis risk that comes with a forward delivery commitment is to enter into what's called a hedge to arrive contract. So the cash price of corn is made up of two components at any given point in any location. One is the uh, board of trade price, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange price, uh, and the other is, is basis. So if you're worried about 
basis changing between when you make a forward delivery, say today, and by the time the fall timeframe comes around, you could enter into the hedge derived contract, which locks in only the futures uh, component of the cash price. So you basically, it's the same thing as getting short futures really. Um, so as, as Eric pointed out, you know, there's risks if basis are in the positive territory, uh, but there's also risk and basis changing between when you agree to a forward delivery price and when the fall timeframe comes around. So if you want to take that risk off the table, which is not protectable from crop insurance, just do a hedge to arrive contract. Awesome. So I think those are awesome points. And I hope the goal here, if you haven't caught on already, is, is to try and take some of the fear out of um, making those forward sales. And that fear can, can really be minimalized by just knowing how your crop insurance policy works for you. And so um, certainly all three of us would be great resources if you have questions about how this might work. But we did want to kind of go through a couple of those scenarios just to, to paint the picture that, yes, you should feel confident uh, marketing those guaranteed bushels ahead of harvest. Now, we are going to switch gears here a little bit. I'll let Jake probably give more uh, detail to this than, than I will. But to put it succinctly, our markets over the last nine months have been quite wild, basically since Eric mentioned earlier, since the, uh, since the derecho occurred. So can you give us, Jake, your, your Reader's Digest version as best you can of how we ended up here uh, in the current market environment that we have? And then, of course, maybe a couple of... Um, uh, markers, a couple of inflection points that we could look forward to where we might see that price uh, turning one direction or the other. Absolutely. Um, as you pointed out, you know, if we rewind nine months, I'd say let's rewind even further and go back to the beginning of 2020. Um, we were dealing with extremely low commodity price, extremely low corn and soybean prices. And we had a lot of major bearish influences on the market at that point, including but not limited to African swine fever in, in China, uh, a trade war that we were still stuck in the middle of with, with China. Then we had COVID-19 hit in, in the late winter, early spring time frame. We had you know lockdowns and downturns in demand. Um, we had good planning and, and early weather for, for crops this, this last growing season. And we had massive carryouts projected um, for the 2021 timeframe. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, but it wasn't that long ago that we were, we were talking that $3 billion number of carryout on corn. And uh, what, was the, what is the number that we're, we're looking at right now, our current projections? Yeah, so the current carryout, uh, I think, is right in the neighborhood of $1.1 billion in uh, corn. And we're looking at a carryout, I uh, think, of $100 35 million in soybeans. And as you pointed out, Ryan, in the, the first iteration of the, the new crop balance sheet last May, you know, we were looking at a carryout of 3.3 billion in corn and a oh, carryout wow. of 400 million bushels in soybeans. So, so three what X. happened? Yeah. yeah. What happened? How, how did that happen? Right? Well, there's two components to a carryout, right? Supply and demand. And supply uh, got cut in a big way uh, late in the year. And in the final iteration of the uh, 2021 um, supply balance sheet, you know the, the the final production numbers. The USDA was much more aggressive in cutting uh, the corn yield than expected. 
I believe they went all the way from 175 point something down to 172 in corn. Much, much bigger cut than expected on the balance sheet there. They also decreased the bean yield by half a bushel per acre. Um, so we're dealing with a smaller supply situation, but at the same time, we had this uh, massive surge in demand in, from China that have caused our, our exports to skyrocket. And as that happened, prices started to rally. And the job of price is to rally enough to ration demand so that we do not run out, um, which it has done a very good job of here recently. Demand has slowed way down on the export side. But we're still dealing with probably um, one of the tighter, if not the tightest carry out to use ratios at this time of the year in, in both the corn and soybean markets and have razor thin margin for error headed into this growing season. And as we head into this growing season, if we rewind just a few months ago at the end of March, the USDA puts out what's called a planning intentions number. And leading into that report, uh, because of the high commodity prices, everyone was expecting massive corn and soybean acres to be reported. Uh, the average trade guess, I think, was around or over 93 million acres of corn and right at about 90 million acres of soybean. And we ended up coming in at 91.1 and 87.6. So much lower than expected. And when you plug those numbers into the balance sheet, uh, we're dealing with some pretty tight carryouts already expected for, for this next growing season. And as we look forward in this market, you, you mentioned inflection point just uh, six days from now on the 30th, and this will be in the rear view after uh, we record this and, and you guys are listening to this, but uh, the USDA is gonna update acreage on the 30th along with stocks but we're expecting a, a decent increase from planning intentions to the June acreage numbers. The, the record amount of corn and soybean acres that we've added between March and June historically was 3.5 million in 2009. And there are a lot of uh, private estimates out there that are calling for a more than record increase in corn and soybean acreage. Uh, Informa or IHS markets is expecting 96.5 million acres of, so of corn to be planted and 89.1 million acres of beans to be planted. You know, if those type of really high numbers come out, that has the potential to put some pressure on the market. I think the market is trading closer to a 94 million acre number in corn and closer to a 90 million acre number in soybeans. But on top of the acreage piece to the supply puzzle, we also have yield to debate and we're dealing with obviously some really dry conditions throughout parts of the Midwest, most notably the Northwest uh, part of the Corn Belt and portions of Northern, Northern Iowa that have people questioning whether or not we're gonna be able to produce a trend yield or not. And that's gonna be a debate that starts um, you know, right after that, that June acreage report and, and where those acres appear from is also gonna factor into uh, the national yield, whether they come in the Dakotas where, where it's really dry, could help to drag yield down. But I'd say that the acres thing is the, the biggest inflection point for new crop markets between now and, and uh, the fall timeframe, along with you know, July weather. But I, I just think that the intentions numbers were low enough and, and fell enough below expectations. And you know, a lot of us are scratching our heads still on, on why that happened. And some people throw out theories, well, you know, it was, you know, COVID and the work from home and not, not being able to conduct surveys the same way they would in a normal year. 
but we'll we'll know a lot better uh, after the 30th about kind of the different range and price possibilities that we're looking at for this next fall. You know, we talked a little bit ahead of the call, but I think, you know, you could make the case based on the acres numbers and, and what happens with weather over the next month to have corn markets that are $2 higher than we are today, or you could make the case for a corn market that's, you know, a dollar, $1.50 lower than we are today. And the same thing, except probably a wider range of possibilities is true for soybeans. We are dealing with a razor thin margin for error. And, um, you know, when you have carry out to use ratios as tight as we have, uh, volatility is really the only certainty. So because you have such a wide range of price possibilities and, and you have risk as a grain producer, if markets fall from where they currently are, yes, you're protected at that, that spring uh, established price, but you have premium built into the market that's worth protecting and, and it, you have um, revenue protection without works that gives you the confidence to make sales into these markets. And I would say at the same time, you know, we all look back at 2012 as a, a very comparable year uh, to this year. But one of the things that most producers regret, um, along with obviously the seller's remorse uh, from selling prior to the rally, but they regret not being a little more aggressive in protecting um, the next year's uh, prices out on the forward curve. So on top of looking at marketing bushels for this next fall, uh, I would encourage producers to take a hard look at the next year's prices and, and maybe take some action to protect yourself out there. And although we've fallen a little bit from, you know, the highs that we established here just a little bit ago, we're still in the you know, very high uh, price range of uh, historical prices. You know, if you look at where these corn is and no beans are, we've only spent roughly, you know, six or 7% of the time above these type of price levels. So, you know, greed and fear are the two main components that affect anybody that's uh, marketing a crop. Try not to let greed uh, take over here and uh, be proactive marketers because forward selling is a good tool. Um, yep. you know, nine years out of 10, you're going to end up with a higher price if you forward sell. It's that one year that kind of prevents you from sticking to that good habit that you've, that you've developed. So I just encourage producers to kind of stick to the plan and, and be aggressive at marketing bushels, especially because we're above that spring price today. Right. And not just above our spring price, but um, with very few exceptions above our cost of production, uh, well above our cost of production. So any sale that's a profitable one is, is a positive one, right? So that was a lot of really good information, Jake. Uh, I really appreciate that perspective uh, and that overview of the market where we are today. And I guess one thing I pulled out of there that I thought was very interesting is uh, yes, I think we already understand we're in a volatile um, environment, but you kind of get stuck in these modes where it's like, you know, well, it's $5.38 today. It'll probably be five thirty-eight at harvest time. Well, no, we have a wide, wide range of possibilities that we can um, go uh, from this moment on. So to wrap up here, I want each of us uh, to look ahead a little bit. Um, about what we're anticipating in the next few months and how that could affect our insurance policy, uh, possibly how it might affect prices and then maybe our ability to market using those prices. And I'm gonna go ahead and, and give it a start here. Um, one 
policy that probably is underutilized but needs to have a, a hard look at for 2022 is a policy called margin protection. And I have a sneaky feeling that we might be doing another podcast on margin protection. However, um, uh, margin protection is not traditional as a, a spring sales closing date. Margin protection has a September 30th sales closing date. And margin is looking at the 2022 price in the months of August and September. So to Jake's point, um, that is an easy way to lock in that price a good 15 months ahead of time. And if we still have some of these uh, higher prices right now, that 22 price is still going to be propped up uh, pretty good as well. So just if you haven't already, take a hard look at margin protection. Uh, you'll be hearing a lot more about it in the next couple months. Uh, so I'm going to turn to you, Eric. Pick out one or two things that you're looking forward to that you think may have an impact on our marketing and insurance options for, for the next few months and, or into 2022. Well, I think for, you know, in the immediate future, you, I mean, a lot of people will be doing their acreage reports now. It's probably not a bad time to really kind of review with them just exactly how many bushels they do have guaranteed so that if they do want to take a strategy of, of some forward sales what, what, in, in any of one of those um, formats that they have that available to them. Uh, I, I really concur with you on um, margin protection in those areas that it is available in. It needs a good hard look. I mean, everything is, is, has went up this year. Uh, you know, it started with 83 cent cotton, you know, and now we're sitting at 620 um, wheat. The one that was kind of a surprise to me is, is urea. Uh, a year ago at this time, it was about $258 a ton. Now we're looking at 424 and that margin protection helps offset some of that risk. So, you know, can, can you really continue to go up? Is it going to go down? I think it's so important to know exactly what your cost of production it is and know exactly how to lace that in with your crop insurance. Uh, and I shouldn't say crop insurance, your revenue protection would probably be a better uh, way to do that. Unfortunately, not every, not every commodity has revenue protection available on it. But for, the, for those crops that do, really understanding, and Ryan brought up a good point, you know, th th this is a tool and use that tool to help offset some of the cost of the premiums. Now, that's great. So lastly, I'll, I'll let you get in the last word, Jake. Anything that you're looking forward to in the next several months or for 2022? Um, it's a lot more fun when farmers are making money uh, for everybody, right? And as Eric pointed out, you know, everybody's going to get their piece of the pie whether it's a fertilizer supplier, a seed salesman, you know, whatever it is, pay very close attention to your cost of production. You need to know that. And you need to know all the different, basically profit per acre or loss per acre scenarios that could play out for you. So you need to look at where you're most vulnerable, um, whether that be lower uh, yield come fall timeframe or lower prices and figure out financially what works in your operation to protect yourself, to kind of guarantee a higher you know, payout profile across the board. And, and lastly, you know, just like you were pointed out, uh, pointing out with the margin protection, Ryan, you know, be very proactive in starting to manage risk out there on the forward curve in the future years because high prices cure high prices. And, you know, just because we're dealing with really tight supply situation today does not guarantee we will be, you know, three months down the road. And, you know, high prices have a 
a way of going away and and try to look at your your operation in terms of you know bottom line profit per acre i would say focus on that rather than the price and try to take a little bit of the emotion out of out of grain marketing awesome well thank you again jake for joining us and eric first time contributor to the podcast really enjoyed having you on here eric's got a great perspective but with that Thank you listeners for joining in on this FMH InsureCast and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. You've been listening to FMH InsureCast. We appreciate you joining us today and would like to hear from you. If you have questions about today's topic or an idea to share for an upcoming podcast, you can contact us at fmhpodcast at fmh.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for information purposes only. See policy provisions, terms, and conditions for details. Products underwritten by Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance Company of Iowa and its affiliates, West Des Moines, Iowa. Farmers Mutual Hail is an equal opportunity provider.